0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to New Books in Irish Studies, a podcast channel in the New Books Network. My name is Aiden Beattie. I'm the co-host of this channel. Today I'm joined by another Aiden, Aiden Enright, an associate researcher and part-time lecturer in history at Leeds Beckett University, where he teaches modern British history. Uh, and he's also a teacher of social sciences at the University of Bradford International College. His first book, which we're going to talk about today, is Charles Owen O'Connor, The O'Connor Don, Landlordism, Liberal Catholicism and Unionism in 19th Century Ireland, recently published by Four Courts Press. Aidan, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Aidan. No problem. Um, So I'm going to start by just asking who was this person called the O'Connor Don? Um, I suspect even a lot of people with a lot of experience in Irish history won't have heard of him, and I'll freely admit i had never heard of him. Um, so can you tell us more about who he was and his general background? Yeah,
1: sure. So um, his, his, uh, his name proper, if you like, was Charles Owen O'Connor, but the, the, the O'Connor Don was an old uh, Gaelic title that he inherited um, from previous generations of the family. So the family was one of the old uh, landed Catholic Gaelic sort of gentry that managed to... Um, uh, air quotes, survive uh, the the penal laws of the 18th century um, and and come through to the 19th century as a, again as a sort of a a, a prominent landed Catholic family um, uh, in sort of the early 19th century. So so yeah, he he's his um, his background is landed. It's political. Uh, his father and his grandfather, after emancipation, were were both MPs for County Roscommon. Um, Liberal MPs for County Roscommon. He um, he was well educated. Uh, He was educated in in England, uh, an English Catholic college called Downside near Bath in the in the southwest of England. So that was part of a sort of a tradition amongst the the landed Catholic elite and middle classes in the again in sort of the early nineteenth through to the you know middle and late nineteenth century, where they, they you know an English Catholic education. Was perceived to be the sort of the, the 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 best education that a young Irish Catholic gentleman could could, uh, could get. Um, so landed, political, educated, well educated, well travelled. Um, you know, once he uh, once he finished his education in the eighteen eighteen um, fifties, mid eighteen fifties, mid to late eighteen fifties, um, he went on a tour of Europe, um, France, uh, Italy what present-day Germany, um, was a chamberlain to the Pope, was sort of a another one of those sort of typical things that a young Irish Catholic gentleman would do uh, upon a visit to Rome. Um, so yeah, a very um, well-to-do, well-educated, well-travelled, uh, young Irish Catholic gentleman, um, who then went on to inherit uh, his father's estates, about seven thousand. 500 acres uh, when he came of age in 1859 um, and uh, inherited his father's seat. The, the You know, he became the Liberal MP for County Roscommon uh, in 1860, a year later, after he inherited the estates. Um, but crucially, um, he also inherited £50,000 from a cousin uh, called Edward Moore, Um and that was crucial, really, to the expansion of the O'Connor estates um, in the sort of late eighteen fifties, early eighteen sixties, by a, to the tune of about five thousand acres. Um, so, you know, fifty thousand pounds in today's change is, I don't know, something like three or four, three or four million quid. You know, so mm-hmm. quite a substantial amount of money uh, mm-hmm. for anyone to inherit. Um, but it, it was, it was, it was crucial, if you like, in terms of, of, of. Um, Giving him the sort of the the security of 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 um you know sort of wealth and prestige and also in terms of his his um, his role as a landlord, it it sort of enabled him to to um to go easy if you like on the collection of rent and arrears because he had that sort of cushion. Now, um, who's to say? You know that he, he wouldn't have been that kind of landlord anyway. The family had a tradition of, of good relationship with their tenants, um, so it, it may have been that he 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 would have been that type of landlord without the extra fifty thousand pounds because he was already a, a well a well to do man anyway. Um, so yeah, so that's it really. Um, I hope that gives you like you know he he was he was part of a sort of a liberal Catholic tradition if you like, mm-hmm. um, following on from the sort of a Conalite period of a sort of moderate. Uh, Liberal-minded, you know, gradualist reform kind of politics that shunned away from from the sort of the more radical elements of of of, of nationalist politics um, in in sort of mid to late nineteenth century, um, and was you know part of a sort of a, a you know the sort of landed and political elite of of Ireland and Great Britain at that time. Even though he was Catholic, mm-hmm. you know, by, by by the time he came along, there was a significant minority of Landed, well-to-do, well-educated Catholics who were part of essentially of of the British Irish establishment, and quite comfortably so. Mm-hmm.
0: So as I as I was starting to read your book, I mean, I'm I'm obviously reading it as someone whose background is much more in, in late nineteenth and early twentieth century Irish history, and I thought, okay, I can, I can tell what this person is, right? He's Catholic, uh, he's a liberal, and I and and he's of this like very old Gaelic stock. Mm -hmm. so i assume okay this this guy's a nationalist and yet he's not (laughs) so what is he politically
1: well politically he's he's a liberal you know first and foremost um but he's a liberal catholic and and that's you know the crucial thing to 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 consider in terms of this idea of 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 a liberal catholic an irish liberal catholic you know because you mention it to a lot of people and they sort of look at you sideways and kind of go what <laughs> a liberal and a catholic but you know in terms of the 19th century what it meant to be a liberal is very different to what it means to be a liberal these days mm-hmm. um so you know if you're if you're a liberal and you're a catholic and you're a devout catholic or even if you're a liberal and you're a protestant and you're a devout Protestant, you know your 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 devout religious faith tempers um your political outlook if you like so for a liberal catholic like the o'connor Don, um his sort of liberalism was sort of inflected with a kind of a um, a conservative Catholicism um, that um, was very much, um, if if you like, sort of trying to advocate, um, you know, free, 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 you know, religious equality and religious freedom for Catholics. And in nineteenth century Ireland, that meant, and certainly from the mid nineteenth century onwards, with with the sort of uh, the rise of, of the Catholic Church again and, and and the power of the Catholic Church in Irish society, under Cardinal Cullen uh, particularly, that meant. Um, you know, fr- fr- freedom of religion, um Catholic education in particular was a big issue. um so his his notion of what it meant to be a liberal as a Catholic was that Catholics ought to have the freedom um to educate themselves as they saw fit, and that mm-hmm. meant a Catholic education as opposed to a secular education. and that was the big debate in terms of what it meant to be a liberal in the nineteenth century. So on the one hand, a liberal Catholic that, like the O'Connor Dunn supported what he saw as religious freedom. And religious freedom to him meant the freedom to provide a Catholic education for Catholic people. But for other liberal Catholics and liberal Protestants, it meant a secular education. So Catholics and Protestants being educated together to, to create a more sort of um, integrated society, if you like, and to sort of tackle the old sort of religious divides. Mm-hmm. So it was two essentially two different interpretations of what it meant to be a liberal. Um, so I, I'm not sure. That's probably a very long-winded no, <laughs> explanation no, of uh, of what it meant to be a liberal Catholic in the 19th century.
0: Uh, th- there's another thing you say early on in the book that kind of mm-hmm. I think again shows how these words can shift their meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, where you say that he was actually opposed to majoritarian democracy, which you would think today is like the the most basic thing that you need to believe in to be a liberal. So mm-hmm. so so what does he view of of say mass politics or Working class people getting involved in politics, things like that.
1: So again, it's it's it's. I think you, you know, but there's there's a tendency to sort of um, to 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 look back through history, if you like, and think about what I meant to be a liberal uh, in the context of how we understand it today. But in the nineteenth century, um, many liberals, um, whether Catholic or Protestant, um, were quite wary about the advance of of democratic politics. Right up to the end of the nineteenth century, um, uh, you know, many of them still came from the sort of the old landed elite, um, the well-educated sort of middle-to-upper classes, the professions. You know, they, they had jobs in education, civil service, the empire, politics, um, the professions. So they they were quite wary of 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 the sort of the rise of democratic politics, and the Economist sort of fits into that. That 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 more like he wasn't opposed to the expansion of the franchise, but he was wary of it, uh, of of sort of you know a full throated democracy, if you like, that mm-hmm. the um, that poli- politics and political reform ought to be guided by uh, well educated um, men such as himself, mm-hmm. who could who could who could guide the sort of popular will in 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 the sort of right. Direction, if you like, to 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 maintain the the security of, of 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 the state, basically, and 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 you know law and order. So, you know, quite wary about this this idea of mass participatory democratic politics, but not opposed to the gradual reform of the franchise and the expansion of the franchise. If that makes any sense.
0: Sure, sure. I mean, in some ways, that's that's kind of continuing a tradition that goes back to O'Connell, at least about. Yeah. About a certain kind of wariness of where politics can go if 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 everyone gets to vote, D- does mm-hmm. he share O'Connell's view that Ireland should should have its own parliament? Like, is he a nationalist in that sense, or is he more of a unionist?
1: So, uh, I argue in the book that he's essentially he's essentially a unionist. Now, he he would have saw himself as an Irish patriot, um, and you know he he supported, for instance. Um, the, um, the preservation of the Irish language. and Now, he didn't get massively involved in the Gaelic League. Uh, he didn't get involved in the Gaelic League at all, actually, but in the, the the early manifestations of that movement, the Society for the Preservation of the Irish Language and the Gaelic Union, he was sort of involved from a distance and he pushed for legislative reform in Parliament to uh, include the Irish language in the intermediate and university education curriculums. And um, so he had this sort of a, a cultural if you like set in nationalism if you like but in the in the sort of classic political sense you you just couldn't argue he was a nationalist because he was opposed to uh home rule even though he thought that home rule would eventually have to happen he was he was actually opposed to any sort of practical proposals for so he opposed Gladstone's two home rule bills, for, for example. Um, he was opposed to any practical proposals for uh, in his time because he was wary of the popular, uh, often um, violent tendencies, radical tendencies within Irish nationalism. You know the sort of the 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 new departure, Parnell, the land league, um, attacks on landlords, disruption of law and order. He was absolutely abhorred by all that. Um, so he, he just didn't trust Parnell and 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 the Irish Parliamentary Party. Um, and he, you know, he that's how he lost the seat in eighteen eighty. So, um, to get back to your question, which was was he a nationalist? I think was that was that was that what you asked me? I think sure, sure, yeah, yeah. So I would say no, he wasn't in the classic political sense. But that's not to say that he didn't see himself as an Irish patriot. And he was not proud to be Irish, and he had a very strong sense of Irish identity, and he had a sort of a um a broader, if you like, sort of cultural nationalist outlook. But in the in the in the strict political sense, he was part of a landed and political elite who were unionist and he made the case against home rule. He associated with unionist politicians, um he went to unionist meetings, he you know and he opposed home rule. Um, so he was a loyalist as well he supported the empire um he was the bearer of the irish standard at king edward the seventh uh, coronation in 1902 so everything about him in the sort of his social milieu and his political outlook and his political arguments and his political positions was mm-hmm. Um, but that's not to say that he he wasn't an irish patriot had some sense of of of, of Irish, you know, support for Irish nationhood, if you like, and that sort of broader cultural mm-hmm. sort of nationalist feeling.
0: So I think, I mean, what you're saying here, and I think what the book does too, is is to show how we have to be very careful with how these words can shift their meaning in sometimes subtle ways, sometimes quite non-subtle ways over time. Um, and there's something that, that Kieran O'Neill says that the, in the introduction to your book, or in the kind of preface that he wrote, mm-hmm. that he feels that the O'Connor Don's sense of multiple identities and how you can be both a patriot and a unionist at the same time Mm -hmm. bears comparison to the complexities of Northern Ireland today. And I I was wondering if you would make a similar claim, and this is a bit of a polemical question maybe, that Mm -hmm. his status as a landlord politician could be compared to politics in the Republic of Ireland today, or or is that something very different?
1: Well... (laughs) Gosh, that's a tricky one. Um, I think, I think so in the sense that many of the Irish political elite in 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 the Republic of Ireland are well-educated young, you know. So I guess the likes of Simon Coveney and Leo Varadkar, for instance, you know, educated in the sort of elite Catholic colleges of you know not i guess normally's catholic in the, these days i don't know really but um you know black rock or whatever or whatever the equivalent is in cork i'm not quite sure what, do, what the names of these colleges are but you know they received a similar kind of education and you know they're seen you know that sort of path in life you know ca- you know sort of elite college education on to university is seen as the sort of pathway towards politics if you're interested in politics and political power so, in that sort of sense, I guess there's a there's a there's a, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a political establishment in, in, in Ireland today that you could sort of make maybe perhaps a tenuous connection to the the political establishment in in the O'Connor's time, in the sense they follow a similar trajectory uh, along educational lines. Um, but um, I think you're, what, the other part of your question was, you know, this this argument that you can be a unionist and a patriot. And, and 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 Northern Irish politics today was that was that what you were?
0: Yeah, sure. The, the, what what Kieran O'Neill says in the preface that he wrote for your book.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, I guess what I would I would I would echo that in the sense that you know the complexity of the O'Connors politics and identity, um, can can be seen in 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 the in the politics and cultural and identity in 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 Northern Ireland and the Republic mm-hmm. of Ireland. Um. You know, so many unionists would 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 you know would would say that they are proud Irishmen and women, you know, and see themselves as patriots in that sense, but that they also have a sort of a British you know they have a a strong British identity as well, and they don't see any sort of conflict between the two. now, I think some. I don't know if you ever seen the Ali G uh, interview with Sammy Wilson, where he, where he where Sammy Wilson keeps saying that he's British and he refuses to say that he's Irish. So I think you, you're go, you're always going to get people on the mm-hmm. the extreme ends, I guess, of of politics and culture, who who will take a very staunch position one way or the other. But I think many unionists will, will be quite clear in the sense that they see themselves as Irish and British, and mm-hmm. you know the O'Connor Don certainly had a strong Irish identity, but he was certainly very attached to a broader British culture and identity. You know, he married an English Catholic. He was educated in England. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's not to say that everybody who, you know, so there was many young Irish Catholic gentlemen who were educated in English Catholic colleges and went on, who went on to be staunch Republicans. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thomas uh, Thomas Francis Mears, uh, Maher is, is one example. So there's not a straight line if you like between that kind of background and culture um but the O'Connor was definitely on the on the unionist side but with a very strong sense of Irishness and Irish patriotism so maybe that's that that, that is reflected in today's politics certainly in Northern Ireland
0: so maybe rather than trying to back you into making a a connection to to sort of contemporary politics what Mm. do you think he reveals about social class in his own time right
1: okay um well, I guess what it reveals is that there was, you know, that there was a very, very strong sense of uh, social class amongst the landed elite. You know, he was, he, you know, I sort of say in the book that he was, he, he was a man out of time by the end of the 19th century. You know, he was very much a man of the landed gentry um, who had a strong sense that men of his stature and ilk and education Uh, and broader sort of cultural outlook were were the kind of people who should be the leaders of the country. Um, And that the uneducated and the the broader sort of um, population, you know, were to be, you know, whether, you know, working class or labouring class or tenant class or whatever way you would describe it in the 19th century, obviously mostly tenant farmer, labouring class, were um, to be feared in a sense, and that you know that that radicalism, Fenianism, um, mass democratic politics was to be was to be guarded against and 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 protected against by a landed and political elite. So he had a very strong sense of 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 who he was in class terms, although he didn't really speak about it in those terms. He spoke a lot about you know nationalist agitators and Fenianism, but um, men like him didn't seem to have a very strong sense of class in the scent, maybe in the way that we would these days. Mm-hmm. They sorry, well, so, sorry, I mean, they didn't speak about it in those terms, but they had they, sure. they didn't, they certainly had a strong sense of who they were themselves and what role they had in society. Mm-hmm, of course. Mm-hmm.
0: So maybe if we could go back to this this inheritance that he gets that is kind of mm-hmm. what copper fastens his his kind of standing in life or at least like his his financial comfort. Yeah some of some of that money comes from the slave trade am, am I right in saying that
1: Yes yeah so his his cousin Edward Moore um was a um a landowner in the West Indies and Australia and he owned he owned um he owned slaves in in, in the West Indies um and he was compensated um uh for that when he when um when slavery was abolished um um in the in 1833 wasn't it Yes, is that right? Yes, I think. Um, so, so he he died um, unmarried and without any children. So he he left uh, fifty thousand pounds to um, the O'Connor Don and the O'Connor Don's brother Dennis, and their cousin Valentine O'Connor Blake, who owned a, who owned estates in Mayo and County uh, County Mayo and County Galway. Um, so. Yeah, so the, the you know I, I sort of write about that a little in the book I don't go into into too much detail I guess because I just didn't have the sort of the evidence of the research to, to, mm-hmm. to get to get into too much detail on that but certainly um, I think it would be it would be difficult to imagine that he wasn't aware of the provenance of the of, of that of that money um, mm-hmm. and I think um, it's sort of you know he he was an imperialist he he supported the british imperial project mm-hmm. um but his views on on the slavery issue are not clear um he, he did visit america in the 1860s so just after the just at the end of the civil war and he comments on on attitudes towards slavery um he met uh, former slave owners um he went to washington um He sort of spoke about how people who were opposed to slavery were saying, "Well, you know, these slaves are not going to do with their not not they're not going to know what to do with their freedom," kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But he didn't. He didn't express a view in his diaries one way or the other. Certainly, that I was able to discover as to whether Mm -hmm. he was on on the on the Union or Confederate side. He met um, he met um, Robert E. Lee. And uh, sort of mentioned how he was was seen as as a leader of his people and all the rest, and a fine-looking man and all the rest of it. But he doesn't really. He's he, he's cagey, in his diaries are you know at least he doesn't say explicitly one way or the other what his position was. But mm-hmm. maybe that maybe that's indicative of a sort of indifference, difference. I don't know. Um, it's hard to mm-hmm. say. I think it would be fair to say one way or the other, but, you know. But on you know, because he doesn't actually explicitly say one way or the other. Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I know that this book kind of has a a long history and it comes out of your PhD dissertation, and and then yeah. took some time to sort of see the light of day as as an actual published book. So, mm-hmm. do you have plans to continue on to something new, or, or where will you go next as a historian?
1: Yeah. So I, yeah, I finished my PhD in two thousand eleven, and, and then I went off and, and, and did did other things. Um, uh, got a bit, got a bit fed up with it, to be honest, and, and sort of you know precarious work and all the rest of us, and and, and uh, ended up working in politics actually, believe it. Um, but anyway, uh, where am I going next? Um, yeah, I'm back, I'm back working, back teaching, um, at least back at university. Uh, um, um, I'm, I'm looking to. I would like to build on, on on this research to some extent. So I've looked at um, the connections between Irish and English Catholics in the in the nineteenth century, um, and the sort of intermarriage between you know, sort of landed English and Irish Catholics, and and um, particularly in particularly interested in one one individual, a Charles Raleigh Chichester, who married a, an Irish an Irish Catholic and settled in Ireland and, and ran an estate in County Roscommon. Um, he was I came across him through the O'Connor Dun, basically. Um, because they corresponded with each other in land reform. Um, So I'm interested in that sort of wider network of of Irish and English Catholics um, from from emancipation onwards. But I'm also interested in in, um, the Irish in Britain as well and how they influenced um, politics um, in in, in Britain. So to give you an example, I'm I'm, I'm going to be giving a paper next year on William Forster, who was Chief Secretary for Ireland between 1880 and 1882. Uh, he was a Liberal MP for Bradford, which is where, where I live now and have been living for the last 10 years. So I'm interested in how uh, he interacted with the, the Bradford Irish community, which was sizable at that, at that point,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know, particularly his role as Chief Secretary. And, you know, he was known as Buckshot Forrester. You know, he was seen as taking a very draconian approach to, to, to law and order in Ireland at the time and his position on home rule and things like that and how that affected politics in Bradford amongst the Irish community um so i'm sort of branching out in that direction a bit more um away from the sort of the sort of landed catholic elite politics i'm, I'm getting a bit more interested mm-hmm. in in the sort of more uh, working class middle class irish catholic community and how they influenced politics in britain particularly in bradford
0: mm-hmm. well if, if this book is anything to go by that'll obviously be some some really excellent research uh, and thank you so much for this great conversation
1: uh no problem and i'd just like to say that obviously the book uh on the Don is available in all uh, good bookshops and um available to buy on um four courts website um four so if, if anybody out there in the ether is interested mm-hmm. in, in finding out more about the oconodon that's that's probably the easiest place to go
0: wonderful Th- thanks so much aiden
1: cheers thanks a minute, aiden.